that comes my way, it's always gift-wrapped as a present. Satan comes as an angel of light to get you to fall for what looks like a gift from God. He wants to trick you. He wants you to, to be fooled. And so be careful and be sure that you're praying not just for a way out, not just for a way out, but the right way out according to God's will. Maybe it's just, hey, Lord, can you change me in this situation? And so we saw what David did and where this is beginning to lead. Bible says that sin is pleasurable, but only pleasurable for a season. There comes a point when the destructive nature of sin will begin to bear fruit in your life, and the amount of grief and decay that takes place will greatly overshadow the temporary season of pleasure that sin gives. Today, Pastor Mark will be reminding us that Satan doesn't just bring random situations our way, but he baits us with specific temptations that appear not so bad. He is called the father of lies, and he manipulates and deceives us into believing that sin doesn't have consequences. We need to submit to God and reject the devil, and he will flee. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 28 with today's edition of Come Alive. It says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know that your servant can do, or what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And then the Philistines gathered together, and they came and they encamped at Shunem. And so Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. And so Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one whom I shall name to you. And then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So David, if you go back to last week, kind of just to recap, David gave up and he joined the enemy. He joins the enemy and God permitted it. But remember, it wasn't God's perfect will. And last week we spoke about David and his lies, that nothing may happen up front or right away, but something always tends to happen. There's always a consequence that will happen. And so... David, we saw some of the lies. Though he's called a man after God's own heart, we've seen some of the lies that he had told. 
And now we see something happening here in verse 1. It says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And so David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. So now that David has gone out and he had lied, saying he'd gone out attacking some of the, the Israelites in southern Judah, Achish thinks that, wow, you know, he's really against his, his home team. And so let's get him on our side, him and his 600 men, because we can use him as a mercenary force, and they'll do battle with us. And so now David's kind of, you see him kind of being stuck with this thing. And so David says, you know, Achish has been saying, well, David, I've been watching you. You've been fighting with your own people, and I trust you. And so we're going to go out to war. I want you and your men to join us in battle. You, you would be a great asset. After all, you're the guy who beat Goliath. You, you're, you could be our great champion next. And oh, by the way, we're fighting your Israelites. So, you know, I think if some of us were sitting there and we were talking and David said, hey, this is what Achish said to me and this is what's been going on, we, we should say, or maybe we would say, hey, bro, are you seriously counting on this happening? Uh, did you count on this when you started lying and saying all this stuff? Did you think think it through to the end? Did you take it to the logical conclusion? And I don't think he did. He, he's cut himself off from his people, and it sure seemed peaceful and like everything was turning out well because he ran to the enemy's camp just to get away from Saul. And so, of course, the pressure was off. But now there's this bigger problem, and you now have to come against your people, David, and 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 the people of God. And there's going to be a price to pay for your 16-month vacation in the land of the enemy. And so for you and I, what we need to see is that every temptation that comes your way, every temptation that comes my way, it's always gift-wrapped as a present. Satan comes as an angel of light to get you to fall for what looks like a gift from God. He wants to trick you. He wants you to, to be fooled. And so be careful and be sure that you're praying not just for a way out, Not just for a way out, but the right way out according to God's will. Maybe it's just, hey, Lord, can you change me in this situation? And so we saw what David did and where this is beginning to lead. But what does Saul do? That's the question I had was, as I read this, it's like, what's Saul doing now? Let's take a look and see what he does. Look at verse 3. It says, now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him. Now you guys might be like, well, didn't he die before? Well, sure he did. This is just a recap. It says, All of Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And then the Philistines gathered together. They came and encamped at Shunem. And so Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of those Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So Samuel's death was originally reported back in in, in chapter 25, in verse 1. And so here, the fact is mentioned again to basically emphasize the spiritual vacuum left by Samuel's departure. Saul depended a lot on Samuel. And so that's kind of like some denominations depend a lot on a priest or a pastor or a preacher or a reverend or... Maybe you depend on somebody more than you depend on God. Maybe you go to that person more often than you go to God. So Saul had put these mediums and these spiritists out, right? So it says right here, he's, he's kicked all these people out of the land. And so to his credit, Saul did obey the commands of the Mosaic law to cast out those who practice occultic arts. 
So God commanded that these mediums and spiritists, those who either can or claim to contact the dead and spirit beings, that God says, hey, you have no place among my people. And then you read that in Leviticus 19, verse 31, chapter 20 of Leviticus 6, again, uh, 19, verse 27, and Deuteronomy 18, uh, 9 through 14. So Saul did something. He did something right. Saul did this in his earlier days when he was still influenced by Samuel's leadership. And so things such as tarot cards or palm readers, horoscopes, Ouija boards, are modern attempts to practice forms of spiritism. And as you guys know, we kind of made an announcement. We've been looking at another building for us to move into, and I went to go look at it earlier this week. And, And the crazy thing is, it's next door to a place where this lady has psychic visions, And there's another place over there called Bomb Diggity. It's a head shop. If you don't know what that is, it's good that you don't know what it is. But I'm going to tell you what it is. It's where you can buy drug paraphernalia, so to speak. Um, They don't say it is. They'll say it's for tobacco only. And there's a bar. And there's a a few other things over there. So I was thinking, I was like, wow, this would be a really awesome place for, for God to put a church. I mean, you know, for all the people who are like, well, I don't know where to go share my faith. You just leave Sunday and walk next door, knock on the door and say, hey, you know, I'm not here to buy any weed or any kind of weed smoking materials or any rolling papers or a bong or a hookah or whatever, but I'm here to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that guy might just be freaking out and just think how awesome that would be. Or, or maybe the lady with the psychic visions be like, well, if you're so psychic, you would have known that I was going to come here and tell you about Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And like, so I don't know. I don't know what God's doing there, but if he does move us there, it'll be an awesome place to hang out and just kind of walk around and meet your neighbors. And so it's an important thing for us to do. But, you know, things such as those tarot cards, palm readers, horoscope, Ouija boards, those modern attempts to practice some form of spiritism is very dangerous. It links to the demonic. Even the undertaking of a spirit of fun is very scary. So Christians should have nothing to do with occultic arts or practices. Nothing at all. Just stay away from it. You know? And you might think, horoscopes? Really? Well, you know, there's a story about one of Hitler's guys. And he said, hey, due to the horoscopes, we're going to have a really good April. Or we're going to win the war. Oh, we all know that isn't true. But Hitler bought into that lie. And so look at verse 4 with me. It says, then the Philistines gathered together... And came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. The geography of Shunem means that the Philistines, you might think, well, why is this in there? Well, the geography of this place where they're talking about is actually about 20 miles into the uh, valley of Jezreel is where it is. And it's north of Aphek. It's the most northerly Philistine city. And the fact that the Philistines had penetrated that far gives an indication of their dominance over Saul's kingdom and their intentions to press further east to the Jordan. Now look at verse 5. It says, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. So how did Saul lose control of the land of Israel? How did he lose control of his land? Well, it's very simple. He was fighting and chasing the wrong enemy. And you might think, the wrong enemy? I mean, an enemy is an enemy. Well, he spent his time seeking revenge, and when it came time to do real battle, to fight the real enemy, the real threat, so to speak, the Philistines, 
He had spent all his time and was totally unprepared because he had been chasing David, the Lord's anointed. And see, sometimes we can get caught up, just you and I as Christians get caught up in these little weird battles with other believers or other people and and get caught up in those things to where we tend to forget that, hey, we let our guard down someplace and now here comes this real battle that we're unprepared for. And the enemy comes in and we're either afraid or unprepared or both. And so long before his downward spiral, when Saul was still walking in the spirit, he was a man of great courage. And so Saul began to lose his courage when the Holy Spirit withdrew from him. And so he starts to, we see this, when the Holy Spirit left him, he starts to lose courage. He starts to do things on his own and take matters into his own hands. And so now after the death of Samuel, the only man to have much spiritual influence on Saul, his courage seems almost completely gone. And so maybe this is you. Maybe you once had great courage. You felt and you knew that, you know, God is there and, and, and I feel his presence. And now all of a sudden, you don't feel it anymore. Before you could stand against anything, you were willing to battle. But something happened somewhere. Fear gripped you. And maybe you had put courage and, and all that stuff in a person. Or, or maybe you put your strength and, and your, your hope in a job or money or maybe even a relationship. And so now all these are gone. All these things are gone and there's nowhere for you to really take a stand. There's nothing for you to stand on. And the great thing is that God didn't leave. God never left. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I think many Christians are afraid to act because they are overcome by fear. Because something has walked out of their life that they depended wholeheartedly upon. They put more trust in that person, that thing, that that material uh, than they did in God. And, and so there, there's this anemia, this, this weakness, and fear overgrips and overcomes, and faith and fear can't live together. So maybe there's a sin in your life that has caused the Holy Spirit to withdraw. Maybe you didn't seek God or his will. I'm not saying that if you died today, you would be left to the depths of Sheol or hell. I'm just saying maybe his Holy Spirit just withdrew. Yeah, you're saved. You, you have a saved soul, but you live a lost life. And so we see this happening with Saul. He, he doesn't consult with God. He doesn't ask God what he should do. He just chased after the wrong enemy. And now here's this other enemy coming in, and we tend to do that. We tend to strengthen areas where, okay, man, I was real weak here before, and now I'm real strong. And we leave the back door open to these areas that, well, we didn't think were such a big deal. And all of a sudden, Satan sneaks in and gets us with that little area. And you're like, man, I never knew that was a problem. I never knew I had that problem. Look at verse 6 again. And it says, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord didn't answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So what a tough place to be. The battle of your life is about to take place, and God isn't talking to you. Some of you might be like, well, yeah, but I've gone to God and I've prayed and, and he didn't answer. He didn't say anything. He obviously doesn't care. And, and I can say, you know, there have been times in my life where I've gone to God and it didn't feel like he answered. It didn't feel like he was there. It didn't feel like he was present with me. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there. Sometimes my kids will stand right next to me and they'll just tap me. This morning in a meeting, that's all I felt was on both shoulders. And I was just like, man, I didn't answer them for a little while. That didn't mean I wasn't there. It didn't mean I didn't care. 
I just didn't answer them. I didn't think they needed immediate attention. <clears throat> so I was trying to teach them patience. And so God does care. Just because he doesn't answer what we seem, he does care. Let me share some reasons God may be silent. One, if you're taking notes, is endurance. God may be trying to manifest this in you. Luke 18.1 talks about this. The question Jesus asks is, when he returns, will he find genuine faith? See, when, when God doesn't answer, sometimes he might be trying to build your faith, your endurance. And we see by this passage that there's in other passages where it says, continue, keep on praying, keep going. That the, the person there, if you turn there and you look at Luke 18.1, I'll read that to you. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'll read it to you either way. Try to help you out. Luke 18, verse 1 says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but after he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. So there's something about, hey, you know what? Though you may not hear from God, he doesn't answer you. Keep going to him. Keep calling him. Just like that little tapping. I eventually said, what? What do you want? Dad, can we play on your phone? Sure, take it. Have fun. The other kid, the younger one, she was like, what about me? Share. I hear both of you. Just share. So, excuse me, what we witness in the church these days is, well, I only need to pray about it once. I've prayed about it. Or I've had people even come to me and say, and this is crazy, just the other day, my wife and I were talking about obedience. How, do you remember when in the days when we first started and planted the church and even in Albuquerque when these little weird things, and I, and I kind of have a hard time describing it because it's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it turns out to be a good thing, but at that moment, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just kind of, wow, it's random. But these things would happen. And so we were talking about it, and I said, you know, I, I kind of miss those days. I wonder if the Lord would do that again, and we just started really seeking to be obedient in everything that the Lord wants us to do and just kind of put us second and the kids, you know, second as well. And though our family is our first ministry, but really just kind of seek first his kingdom, as David was saying. And so Saturday, she's, she's gone and she's speaking at a retreat. And, and I think it was Saturday or no, it was Friday. I was home and the kids had gone down for a nap and it was my quiet time and I was studying and I just finished studying and I reached over and I picked up a book um, by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of Man. I thought, man, I'm going to start reading this. I'm going to have a great time. It's quiet. I know the kids will sleep for at least an hour, hour and a half. I woke them up super early, so they'll be down for a while. As I sat down, somebody rang the doorbell and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The neighbor kids. And I'm like, school's not even out. Who is this? And I opened the door and there's an older man and a teenager, his son, and he goes, hey, we heard you were a praying man. And I'm like looking around like <laughs> thinking somebody's videotaping. It's a joke. Somebody from the church. And I'm trying to run through the faces. I'm like, I don't remember this guy's face. And I'm going back all the way to the very beginning. And I said, yes, I'm a praying man. Waiting for the punchline to happen any minute or water to splash me or something, you know. And so I start snapping, calling one of my dogs just in case it's a weird thing that's about to happen. I'm like, well, you know, I'll get the biggest dog and he'll fly out the door and 
some damage to take place to give me enough time to hide kids or get a gun. I don't know. So anyway, he starts telling me about how his marriage is failing and how he kind of blew it in his marriage. And what it, you know, he just, and his son's sitting behind him shaking his head like, yeah, he really blew it. And I was just like, wow, this is weird. But it's obviously of the Lord. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. Can I pray for you? And he goes, man, I'd love for you to pray for me. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I was like, what's your name? And he tells me, and it's Mr. Strother. And so I, I pray for him. And he leaves. And I close the door and I sit down and I text Jess. And I was like, hey, guess what? Some dude just knocked on the door, asked for prayer. And left. And she was just like, random, you know? And I was like, but that's cool because I miss those weird little things. You know, you, some of us call it weird. It's, it's not really good. It was good that I got to do that. But this guy found my house and they jump in a truck and they drove off. And I was just like, that's cool. So there are those things where, you know, I asked the guy as, as before I started praying for him, I said, well, are you praying for your marriage? And he goes, no, I got people at my church praying for my marriage. And, and I want you to pray for my marriage. And I was like, well, that's not how you go about that. So you need to pray for your marriage as well, consistently, if you want to save your marriage. And I will consistently intercede for you daily. And if we can agree to do that, why don't you come back in a week and let me know what's going on? And he said, all right, I'll do that. But see, a lot of times we think that if we ask somebody to pray for us, it's going to work. It may or it may not. There may need to be some persistent prayer, some of that. Hey, God, it's me, Mark. Here I am again. Here's what I need. And it gets to be a little annoying if I just kept doing this as a whole message, right? You guys would be like, please, stop, knock. At any time, you can stop, right? I mean, now would be good, Mark, but, just, but I'm going to keep doing it. To, but it gets to be a little irritating. And not that we can irritate God to do what we need him to do, but what it does is it shows us And it shows him that we're persistent. That we're persistent in those things that we see as important. And then all of a sudden we see in that prayer time our heart may change. So if Saul were seriously seeking and knew God was there, that's the thing. If he knows that God's there and he was seriously seeking God, then why didn't he stop? Why didn't Saul just stop doing what he was doing? Well, here's why. I tried calling on God and nothing happened. I've heard this before. I've I've tried talking to God, Mark, but nothing happened. So what Saul does is he goes to the Psychic Friends Network. The other reason people don't endure is because they realize they're going to hear from God. And God may say, hey, you know what? You're doing the wrong thing. You need to change. And nine times out of ten, you find out uh, those guys just don't want to change. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. 
We are a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.